0: You're listening to Nonprofit Growth, a podcast for nonprofit leaders. We interview marketing experts and nonprofit leaders who are in the trenches advancing great causes around the world. They're implementing strategies, experimenting with tactics, and figuring out how to work smart as much as they work hard. Dan Sanchez is the host of this podcast as a nonprofit marketing director who's on a mission to learn how to mobilize an increasingly distracted world. When Dan's not interviewing guests, he'll share stories from behind the scenes of his work advancing the cause of Bethany International. Let's begin.
1: Welcome back to another episode of Nonprofit Growth. Today, I'm sitting with my coworker and friend, Matt Schmidt. He is the Digital Technology Manager here at Bethany International, and I wanted to have him on the show today because we were able to pull off together probably one of the biggest feats (laughs) since we've worked together for the last three years of migrating from Blackbaud's Razor's Edge CRM to Salesforce. And it was a a two-year process that we just finished recently or I'd say we just finished the first phase of. So Matt, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Dan. And Matt, before we jump into Salesforce and the migration to Salesforce, I wanted to ask you even how you got started in digital technology and marketing, because I think that's just kind of a fun story for those. And I think a lot of other people can empathize with you and where you're at.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's it's, it's a really long and kind of twisty-turny story, but it's a lot of fun to tell.
1: So it all
2: kind of starts in the last place I would have expected it to, and that is actually me getting a chemistry degree. So when people hear chemistry, they get scared right away. Like, chemistry, why are you doing marketing? And so, yeah, it's kind of fun to to connect those dots. So I started off in chemistry and was okay, enjoyed my job, but it was nothing I really loved. And my wife and I actually moved out here to Minnesota from Michigan, Um, to do a discipleship program. And in the process, got plugged into Bethany, um, started work volunteering here, and kind of was doing some internship work. And there was a conversation that kind of came up where I was, I needed a job. I needed to make some income. I had a kid on the way. And Dan, out of the blue, kind of comes and knocks on my door one day while I'm at this internship position and was like, hey, what would you think about doing marketing? And he had had another conversation with another leader who I had been reporting to, and they were trying to figure out what to do with me. And it just kind of, Dan needed somebody. And so they're like, Hey, well, let's try this. And so they threw me into marketing. I had had zero marketing experience, never built a website in my life. The only thing I did on Facebook was send messages to people and make posts and kind of just fell in love with it. And so did digital marketing for about three years. And then as I learned it and fell in love with it, I just found my niche in the technology side. I was able to build websites and edit code just a little bit faster than even Dan could at times and um, slowly just kind of fell into the technology niche of marketing.
1: Yeah. It's so common for other people to get involved in marketing who majored in something else because marketing, well, it, it just pays the bills. There's a lot of need in marketing, and there's cer- certainly a lot of organizations that have positions in marketing. Matt tended to be highly technical, and we knew even before I even talked to him that he was going to be a good fit in marketing because of his tech, his just technology ability, and his like his just ability to think deeply about fairly complex problems and, and sort it out in a really logical way. I, and I knew he would be a good fit for how we ran marketing, we tend to lean heavily on technology to do what we do. And, of course, naturally, I included him from the beginning when we started talking about our move to Salesforce. But before we get into that, Matt, can you tell us a little bit more about what were some of the the hurdles we were running into with Razor's Edge? Yeah, so
2: Razor's Edge has been a product that's it has been around for a good 20, 30 years, and it's been one of the industry leaders for… Nonprofit donor databases, but we were running into some big issues in terms of wanting to do more with our data, wanting to automate things with our data and have it happen automatically, being able to customize how it was structured. At Bethany International, we have a very complex system of processes and organizations here. We have Bethany International, we have a university, we have a missions agency, we have global partners. We're connected in a whole bunch of different ways. And Razor's Edge just, it lacked some of the flexibility that we needed to really structure things the way we wanted to. But much more importantly than that was the just inability to really set up automation the way we wanted to. Um, When I think automation, I think A happens, I can now make B happen instantly. And Razor's Edge just really didn't have that ability to immediately trigger stuff without having some manual intervention involved. And that was really going to stop us from doing what we wanted to do with marketing in terms of donor
1: relationships. Absolutely. So what were some of the solutions we looked at first?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, we did a, we did a lot of looking around. We, we looked at, I mean, we talked about building our own. We had talked about using things like Donately and um, HubSpot and Infusionsoft. And we, we, were, we had looked around at a lot of different database and automation options and there was a lot out there. There was probably, we probably had a list of 15 by the time we were all said and done. And, you know, we evaluated those on a few things. But overall, I feel like we, we kind of came to Salesforce as being what was going to be our best option.
1: I remember looking at Salesforce and realizing that there's really three major components you have to consider if you're looking to move from Razor's Edge or you're looking to move from something else into Salesforce. Really, if you want to have a good system, you really have to think about three individual components. In BlackBot, it's all together. But in Salesforce, it's very modular, and you have to think about three these three parts. There's first, your donation management system. Salesforce does not manage money and recurring donations and manually. You have to find a different system. What Salesforce does do is the second part, the CRM, the storage of all the data and all the contacts and the relationships between other contacts that it might have in the database. But then there's a third part that takes advantage of all that data, and that is your marketing automation system. And we had to consider not only Salesforce, but the different pieces we would need in order to connect them together. So like a whole other tech stack I remember we looked at was, I think the CRM was Virtuous. And I'm trying to remember, WM Tech would have been our donation management system. And our third piece would have been HubSpot because that's what Virtuous preferred as their marketing automation vendor of choice. That was another whole tech stack we looked at through those three pieces. Instead, we decided that Salesforce was actually a better fit for us, considering we had three major business models essentially of a nonprofit, a university, and this this kind of part. We have a lot of partners that we work with and I don't want to get into all that, but it made it, and they all overlap in a certain way, but are all unique that made Salesforce just the better solution overall. But we had to think about it in terms of not just Salesforce, but Classy as a software solution for the donation management. And then we use another piece of software called Autopilot, but you can find learn more about that at autopilothq.com as our marketing automation solution that took all the Salesforce data to put it to marketing use. So... Those were, that's the tech stack we ended up going with. But as we started to get confident about what the solution would be, I actually wanted to spend a little bit of time talking about the process we used to convince internal stakeholders about the whole sales, classy salesforce and autopilot solution. Cause it's a big decision changing your finance, your m- moving from razor's edge impacts a lot of different departments. For Bethany, it impacted, of course, our advancement, or some people call it the development office. It impacted our finance office. It impacted our IT office. And it certainly impacted the marketing office. That was the department that was taking the lead. It also greatly impacted our missions agency. So there was a lot of stakeholders. And I am sad to say that we actually, I didn't handle it quite right. There's a better way to do it. What, we, what I did do was do all the research. We did all the research on our own, and Matt and I worked on it together and tested the solutions, verified that everything worked, and then came and presented. And naturally, a lot of stakeholders uh, had a lot of doubts about that. So we had to go do a lot of back work to then prove that it was the best solution. And that took probably three to four months of convincing and testing and having lots of demos with a lot of other people, even though we knew the solution was going to be Salesforce looking back. And since then, I've actually gotten my MBA with an IT emphasis. I've actually learned about this process called project management and specifically procurement and can now give you some practical tips that if you do this, this is what I would do going back. And now I know from a painful experience, as well as just learning the process straight from a course, that what I should have done was step one, actually interviewing all the stakeholders from the beginning, sitting down with them and asking them about what they need in a system and getting what they call the requirements. And after interviewing all the stakeholders from each department, the people whose opinions matter the most, combining all those requirements, they then go use those to vet systems. And Salesforce would have passed with Flying Colors because Salesforce can do them. It's just the most flexible CRM out there. But I could have used their own interviews and their words and their own requirements to kind of prove and essentially bring them along in the process. I could have saved myself a lot of heartache of going back and forth over that and then them getting involved in a search and recommending solutions that weren't going to fit because they didn't know what other people's requirements were. They only thought about their requirements. If I could go back, I would have done that. So step one, interviewing stakeholders. Step two, compiling a list of requirements. Step three, actually going and showing them Using that to research the different solutions by those requirements, step five, I think that was step four, (laughs) step five is actually then presenting, using the requirements to show people how the solution fits their needs. And then walking alongside them as they verify that the system actually meets the requirements. Those would be the steps you would want to take in order to make a smoother transition in your organization. But now let's toss this back over to Matt. Matt, once we actually got buy-in from the stakeholders that this tech stack was the best solution, what journey did we go through to actually do the deed and make the transition?
2: Yeah, so this was, this was quite the journey. I think it was probably more than either Dan or I actually planned on it being. But it was well worth it in the long run. So the first thing we ended up having to do was actually purchased Classy, which is the donation processor and donation platform that we decided to use with Salesforce. And the reason we chose Classy was because they have, as far as we're aware of, the best and deepest integration with Salesforce of any product on the market right now. And so that was the big selling point that they had. Classy does tend to run a little bit expensive, but we were able to make that concession knowing that it was going to be the best solution for us in the long run. So after we purchased Classy, we had to begin funneling all new donations that we were receiving into Classy. And that wasn't too difficult. Over the course of a week or two, Dan and I set up a whole bunch of donation pages and slowly just one after another replaced the old donation pages that we had that were feeding into Razor's Edge. And so all of our new data was now coming into Classy. Then for an interim time, We had to find a way to take all of that information that was coming in Classy and push it into Razor's Edge because the rest of the departments and everyone else in our organization was still using Razor's Edge. We hadn't left it yet. And so we developed a process using a few Excel sheets and some data imports and exports where we could move the data from Classy to Razor's Edge so that we weren't missing data and our finance team and everybody could still know where we were at with reporting After that had occurred, we had to start migrating all of our recurring donations that we had from Razor's Edge, Blackbaud, and a couple other systems that we had cuz we actually
1: had It was such a hodgepodge of systems.
2: Yeah, we had like four different donation <laughs> systems running at so once. So bad. It was it was a <laughs> it was a nightmare. And so just over time one after another we tackled them and we had a coworker, bless her soul, call hundreds of donors and slowly one after another migrate them migrate their card information from the old system to the new system.
1: Yes. And a technical note here for those who are wondering about migrating credit cards, it is a challenge. And if you've worked at a nonprofit and worked on this problem, you've run into it before. You actually can trans, like transition a bunch of credit card donors from one system to another without them knowing. There's just, it's more, it's fairly complicated, but you can ask and get into it. We did utilize it for some parts of the migration. But at the end of the day, there was still a lot of different cases where it was like ACH donors or this system had technical requirements that didn't match with Classy or different things like that, or they were just unhelpful and just such short staff that they couldn't help us unlock all those credit card donors or whatever. I, I, there was just issues where we had to manually get donors to fill out a form to start with Classy so we could cancel their payment in the last system. And we had created a whole plan for that. In fact, I think what I'll do If you're interested in what our manual outreach plan was for that, because it was extensive as far as like the sequence of letters, emails, and phone calls we made to donors to do that well, I'll create a download and attach it to the blog post that's related to this episode. Go to growthguide.co, search for Salesforce, and find this blog post We're right here in the notes, I'm just going to attach our our plan for how we reached out to donors to do this. It was effective, but we were only able to migrate how many we ended up migrating.
2: It was close to 90% of our donors, which, right. which is actually about what you'll get if you pay and have that done electronically. So yeah. we actually had a really good conversion rate. We were pretty happy with the process. But when you consider the number of man hours that went into all that manual outreach and tracking all of that information, it, the, the cost was probably about the same as just paying someone to do it.
1: It's just our difference of hard cost versus soft cost with that one.
2: Yeah. And so, yeah, once we had managed to migrate our recurring donations over to Classy, The next step was to really start pouring data from Classy into Salesforce. As a nonprofit, we were able to get the 10 free licenses that any nonprofit can get with Salesforce. So we had an org set up and we had to kind of play around with which architecture we wanted to use. For most nonprofits, the um, NPSP will be a great system for you. It handles, has systems in place for donations and recurring donations and, It's just it's set up with the right terminology and stuff. Um, For us at Bethany International, we ended up using GEM, which is a hybrid of the education data architecture with the nonprofit. And it happened to come out like two weeks before we were ready to pull pull the trigger on stuff. So the timing couldn't have been more perfect for us. (laughs) It was... We got lucky. Yeah, that was like luck... Like it's beyond like, like the universe was aligning for us on that one. And so I don't know if someone at Salesforce was like, hurry up, we got to put this out because Bethany's going to make a decision soon. But either way, it worked and we're loving it. And so we then added Classy's tool where it started pouring data from Classy into Salesforce. We were able to just pull all of the historical data that Classy had ever received into Salesforce as well. And what's nice is that happens in real time, which is just one of the features we had been looking for. And so that was actually one of the easier steps. We had to make a couple small adjustments in Salesforce because we have a fairly complex system in terms of accounting where donations were getting split into multiple funds and we just had just some messy stuff that Classy wasn't quite designed to handle, but we were able to handle it on the back end inside of Salesforce after the donation information actually came in. So once we have data coming into Salesforce, the next step is to take all of the old data in Razor's Edge that wasn't in Classy and move that into Salesforce. And this was a feat that I am very proud of and I will be putting on my resume for quite some time because of the number of Excel sheets I had running at once and how large they were. I managed to freeze up Excel, which our IT department had souped up my computer and I still managed to make it crash a couple times trying to move you know, a quarter million donations at a time. And Excel was just getting a little angry with me there. But so this, this is probably one of the scarier parts of this whole process, actually, because you have donors, you have donations, you have funds, you have notes, you have, you know, who knows how much information stored up in Razor's Edge in different tables. And so to export all of that and map it up really well, if you're doing this, you're going to want to be someone who's really comfortable with Excel and databases and understanding how things relate to each other in a database. If you're not Comfortable doing that, I would probably recommend outsourcing that to somebody. Um, this was something I felt comfortable enough doing. It was probably out of my league when I started it, but I managed to figure it out along the way.
1: I was confident you could do it. Yeah. In fact, we had a lot of people telling us that it was impossible to do this without consultants. We pretty much did the whole thing without consultants. Yeah, we. we <laughs> I don't recommend that for most people.
2: <laughs> we, we, I'm, I've been very gifted with a brain that handles databases and architectures well. Yeah. yeah, I would not recommend it unless you're very skilled in databases and this type of stuff, just outsource it. It's well worth it in the long run. But for us, we happen to be able to do it in house, um, which I'm thankful we did. Ideally, you would actually hire someone internally at this point to be handling some of your Salesforce information because at this point, you are probably be doing a fair amount of customization for your Salesforce application as well.
1: So once we migrated the data from Razor's Edge into Salesforce, what did we do then? So after
2: we had the data in Salesforce, we effectively have two sets of data that have the same information. We have Razor's Edge and we have Salesforce. And so what we did is we just ran them side by side for two or three weeks to work out any kinks and any bugs, making sure that you know, we'd run a report at the end of each day and say, hey, does." Does Salesforce match up with what's in Razor's Edge? If not, why not? And we'd hunt it down. And there were plenty of bugs along the way of, you know, the very first time our finance team tried to enter checks in, it locked them out because of a security issue because I had forgot to check a box somewhere. And so, you know, there, there were bumps along the way, but we managed to make it work and we ran them side by side for about three weeks just to make sure that everything was lined up. You know, all the I's were dotted, the T's were crossed. And then we got to the point where we're like, okay, we're confident that Salesforce has the information we need and it's ready to go. And we pulled the plug on Razor's Edge. We just kind of turned it off and let it sit there for about two or three weeks until the subscription expired. And then we were done with it. And so it was, it was a scary process, but it worked out. And in the long run, it was definitely the better option for us.
1: And on a project management side, we didn't do it like a traditional project management with a full scope and hard deadlines. We took a lot of little baby steps and just kept pushing it forward a little bit of it at a time with check-ins with the stakeholders along the way, even training on the go. Like we would push a new piece forward and then go and train the person in it. Luckily, Bethany International is kind of like loose and organic enough that we could just step in and be like, Hey, can you do can we do a training this afternoon? Cause we just changed something. <laughs> Razor's Edge was also not being used to its full. Full capacity, which made it kind of easy because the data in in it wasn't really being totally utilized, so it didn't throw off a lot of processes to move move it over. Working with our finance team with and accounting was, of course, really tight because accounting does have to be managed in a pretty rigid structure. But other than that, we just have just now been in a process of clean up and getting it back to where we were before, just so we can have the place where we have a clean foundation now, a classy Salesforce and autopilot. That we can build on and do some more fancy things. And in fact, it's a lot of those things that I'm hoping to do podcasts and blog posts about in the future, because that's where we're really going to start to take off as far as what we can do with nonprofit marketing. Matt, last question for you is for someone looking into Salesforce as a nonprofit, what would you recommend for them as far as resources to look at, tips that you've learned along the way, and anything else that would be helpful for them related to this migration? Mm
2: Yeah, so definitely check out Salesforce's free online training. It's um, trailhead.salesforce.com. That is where I self-taught everything that I now know about Salesforce. I wouldn't say I'm by any means like an expert. I haven't actually taken their certification tests, but I'm quite sure I could pass them at this point. They're just, they're very thorough, very robust, have great examples. Be ready to spend some time in there because Salesforce is a very complex beast. There are Thousands of options and thousands of drop downs and check boxes and settings. And it's so easy to become lost and overwhelmed in it that you're really gonna wanna know what you're doing before you jump into it. We made a risky move by making a commitment to it before we really knew quite how complex it was. But I probably spent a solid month worth of time over, you know, 40, if I would have, you know, 120 to 160 hours over the course of several months, just learning Salesforce so that I was ready for this transition. So there is, there is a knowledge requirement that you're going to want to have making this transition, whether it's some internal or you're bringing a new person in or you're going to hire consultants out. Another area that you're going to want to look at really is how complex is your organization. If you have a very simple organization, um, in and I'm not talking about like what you're doing as an organization, but like your finance structure is simple. How you collect donations is simple. Salesforce might be more complex than what you need. And so be willing to look at some of some other smaller options as well, or less complex options. If Salesforce is where you want to go, definitely check out Trailhead. There are a couple consulting groups that are very active in the nonprofit world. Um, Cloud for Good is probably the largest of them. The more well-known one, they're um, Salesforce certified partners. They're very willing to have a quick talk, chat with you and maybe give you a little bit of guidance you know, before you, they would take you on as a client. I, I had a conversation or two with them along the way. And yeah, don't be afraid to ask questions to people. The forums that... Uh, Salesforce has up and running are very helpful as well. There's the Power of Us, which is kind of the nonprofit world forums. They're very active. There are people posting all the time. There's Salesforce employees actually moderating the forums and answering questions. And people who have developed um, big chunks of software and big parts of Salesforce as a platform are in there answering questions. And so there'll be a lot of help as well during the process.
1: And the last resource you'll certainly want to check out is Matt's new website, actually, that he's launching launching before this podcast comes out. So Matt, tell us a little bit more about the blog and the website you're doing to help nonprofits win with technology and a little bit more about where they can how they can get a hold of you to ask questions.
2: Yeah, so I am launching hopefully in the next week or two here. It will be technologisttips.com and it's going to be a website and blog dedicated solely to helping nonprofit and higher ed organizations with figuring out their tech stacks and figuring out software. So whether it be payment processors or event management or CRMs or anything in between there, I'm hoping to just kind of build a useful resource where people can come and figure out what they need, what's going to meet their requirements best and how to navigate through some of those tough questions that they might have. And for contacting me, there'll just be a nice contact me form on that website and, Feel free to reach out, and I would love to have a chat with you, maybe help you work through a process, whether it's Salesforce-related or some other software that you're looking at. I'm very willing to just sit down and talk through some stuff with you.
1: That's perfect. Thank you so much for joining me on the show, Matt. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me, Dan. If you want to take your nonprofit's digital marketing to the next level, you will want to check out Growth Guide's Digital Marketing Playbook for Nonprofits. It's packed with the latest strategies, tactics, and scientific research around marketing your nonprofit through digital channels. Get your free guide today at growthguide.co/dm. That's growthguide.co/dm.
0: You've been listening to Nonprofit Growth hosted by Dan Sanchez. Please subscribe to the Nonprofit Growth show in your favorite podcast player. To hear all of our episodes. We'd love to connect with you about our podcast at growthguide.co contact. Thank you so much for listening until next time.